Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast, sponsored by uscfootball.com. I am your host, Ryan Abraham, and I'm the publisher of uscfootball.com and produce these podcasts. This is episode number 25, and in the first segment of the podcast, we're joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach Hyde, this is our silver anniversary, 25th episode. Can you believe that? Half a year I've been uh, doing this with you, Ryan, on uh, uscfootball.com. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, we'll continue because it's getting to be the real fun time now. We've been doing the off season. Yeah, I guess it is half a year. I think we, there was actually 26 weeks ago we started, but I got really ill one week and couldn't do one. So we, uh, this is our half year anniversary, uh, silver anniversary. Did you get me anything, Coach? Uh, I did. Uh, just stay home all day, <laughs> and it should be delivered here shortly. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, Coach is actually in Catalina, so we are a uh, podcast that's crossing the sea. Right, we certainly are, and I'll tell you, the weather's beautiful here, and you know, this is where I go for my football camp. Uh, you're down there uh, with the Trojans, I talk with, you just talked about, try to get over there at the end of the week if I can, or, or next week, or whenever, so I can take a look at the Trojans in person, but uh, I'm at camp over here, a different type of camp, I do run, I do work out, I do that. But uh, I do get ready for this great season. Yeah, Coach stays in shape over there. It's good stuff. And before we get going on USC Fall Camp, which begins Wednesday, today, August 6th, uh, we are going to thank our sponsor from Southern California Tickets. Curtis over there at Southern California Tickets takes care of us, sctickets.com. You can give him a call, 1-800-888-7287. It's, uh, all the USC games are sold out, so if you need to get tickets, you can definitely give Curtis a call over there at Southern California Tickets. Ryan, wouldn't you say now this is the earliest ever that there, there has been an announcement that every game is sold out? I can't remember by before the season they've ever announced that every game is sold out. Yeah, I can't remember that either, Coach. It's a really good home schedule. I think that helps, and the expectations are high. Uh, it, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult in L.A. People talk about that a lot, that the L.A. fans are a little different because there's so many other things to do. But Pete Carroll's kind of established this just level of, of play that's so high and so extraordinary. I think people are starting to just buy into it, and they're, now it's like really going to be a really hard ticket in town to get. It really is. And uh, with the schedule, as you mentioned, uh, Ohio State, Arizona State, and so that adds to it. But they also added additional seats. So even with the additional seats, they've been able to sell out, which is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I believe it's close to 94,000 capacity now. Rivals.com just did a uh, countdown of the 10 largest stadiums uh, capacity-wise. And uh, the Coliseum was number nine. Uh, actually, the Rose Bowl was number 10. So USC and UCLA were up there in the top 10. Well, that's great to have uh, them. And what are they, uh, 20 miles apart from each other? Yeah, not too far, not too far. Pasadena, you, you know Pasadena pretty well, Coach. Oh, I sure mean, do. You're the godfather. Everyone knows you up there. I think You, you should run for mayor, I think. No, no, I just like, do, I like doing what I do, believe me. He works behind the scenes. All right, well, fall camp, as we said, starts today, Wednesday, August 6th, is, is uh, when we're recording this, and it'll be up on the website today. 
Uh, you might be listening to this afterwards, but this is the beginning of fall camp. Uh, the schedule, they change it all the time, but it's open to the public. So if any Trojan fans want to go down to USC and check out the practices, you are definitely welcome to do that. Pete Carroll will be around signing autographs and players signing autographs after practice. So it's kind of fun to watch. If you haven't seen one before, definitely get down there and check it out. Um, first four days, no pads. So it's kind of not quite walkthroughs, but they're kind of going through stuff. Uh, just where they have to be running through plays without the major hitting. And then uh, on the 10th is when the first day of pads go on. That's always the biggest day. That's my favorite day. Maybe my favorite day of the year, Coach, first day of full pads. Just where you get to see all the players hitting and going at each other. And uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun to watch. Well, the first day of full pads is always the most, uh, say, practice with where all the intensity is there because people's really looking forward to this day of it, making an impression, getting the feel of what a uniform's like again. Uh, it's, uh, it's like playing in the big game, the first day of practice. And you come in and you start to think about the next practice and the next practice and the next practice. But there's a lot of emotion in the first practice, especially young players coming out. Uh, this is their first experience as far as going against a senior or someone they've heard about. And, again, uh, this senior uh, and uh, junior that's out there, they want to make a point to let them know this is my position that you're challenging for. So they're not going to make it that easy. They're going to help them, of course, because they're all teammates. But it isn't going to be like they're going to be there without letting them know what it's like to play football on the college level. But it is a complete different level of contact, emotion, intensity. And the young players find that out in a real hurry. Yeah, now I was down there all summer, Coach, and you got to see some of the young players integrate uh, in with the team. And they seem to be having the most fun out there. A lot of the older veterans, I mean, they, they like the summer workouts, and it's, it's good for them. But they're ready to get going with fall camp. They wanted that structure. A lot of people were you know, looking forward to that those practices where you can hit and do all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that, you know, in your experience as coaching where, where players usually pretty energetic heading into fall camp and then that grind will probably set in a week or two in and then they're ready to get it over with. Oh, definitely. There's no question about it. Everybody's excited about the first day of practice. The freshmen are excited to practice because they've been waiting for this opportunity and so on. And then all of a sudden you get into it and you're rolling around in the grass in the morning, and you're rolling around, and you're doing all of that uh, that you hate to do, and you you start to sweat, and uh, and then uh, uh, all of a sudden, you, after a week, you're you're saying you start counting the days, you put an X through the calendar, and then when your coaches uh, feel you had a great practice, they tell you, but if you didn't have a good great practice, they let you know in their terms, and uh, sometimes it's always a different way of explaining and communicating that you normally do with people. But uh, when you have great competition, Ryan, like you have at USC, you don't have to do much motivating because every player knows there's someone who can take their place. It is a team effort. So you're not getting individual efforts. You're getting team efforts because they know that if I don't give that type of effort, there's someone who can replace me here which makes you a better football player. This is why great players want to go to USC, because they have to perform every day. <clears throat> Excuse me. They can't have a bad practice. They can't come with a bad attitude, because if they do do that, there's someone there to replace them. Now, at some schools or universities or high schools or whatever, you don't have that. You don't have a, a, a depth uh, uh, situation like USC has where 
you vary that depth chart every day after every staff meeting. So, you know, sure, players are going to have a bad day. Players are going to be not feeling good one day. Players are going to be, oh, I want to take a day off. And coaches know that. Yeah, you go over and you tell them, you took a day off today. That's not good. Don't take any more days off. We can tell when you take a day off. So, uh, you know, it's a big family. Remember, you have 105 kids out there. And every one of those are individual players, but you're surrounding them and trying to make themselves into a team. One. I used to have a T-shirt that used to say team in five-inch letters that we wore underneath uh, where our shoulder pads were. And below that, I had a one-inch letter that said me. And uh, they have to understand that, uh, obviously, at USC, their T-shirts say USC where you win forever. (laughs) And I think, you know what I mean, that's a reversal of having to remind people of Team Me. That's telling them that, hey, this is what we're here for. If you want to grab on, uh, jump on the bus, there's a certain way you ride on the bus, and this is the way we do it. You don't drive the bus. You ride on the bus. And and I think that's uh, how Pete Carroll has developed this program. No, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, I mean, depth chart-wise, you're right. There's a lot of depth there. I was talking to uh, our beat writer, Dan Waikie, uh, about this a little bit. We put a story up this morning. It was kind of like an email conversation we had back and forth. And uh, I, it's it's interesting. Because of all the recruiting classes Pete Carroll's put together, the recruiting class coming in 2008, the, the ones that reported yesterday, um, it's very lineman-heavy. There's a lot of linemen in the class. And USC lost 10 guys in the NFL draft, yeah, seven in the first on the first day. You would think in a situation like that when you had so many guys depart for the NFL that the the incoming freshman would be kind of leaned on, uh, you know, just for depth, you know, for depth, but also for, you know, probably some starters here or there just because you lost so many people. Uh, you know, you look up and down, you're like, who who's going to make an impact as an incoming freshman? And you could argue nobody. Uh, people ask me all the time, like, oh, maybe Blake Ailes, maybe Armin Armstead, maybe TJ Bryant. I mean, there's different guys that have a shot, and they could probably be on the two deep, but there's a really good chance that none of them will. And it's just because he's had so many of those classes together, and I, I don't think that'll do anything to hurt the competition. I mean, there's going to be fierce competition, and, and some of the freshmen might just even get overlooked because there's redshirt sophomores and, and, and redshirt freshmen that are have been around the program a year or two or maybe three that they're going to be fighting super hard, tooth and nail, this fall camp to to impress the coaches. Well, I think that's a good situation to get at. A lot of people would say that, oh, that's not a good situation when a player doesn't think he has a chance to play as a freshman. But I think it's a good situation because I think now you can get to the redshirting uh, process, which really uh, most universities have gone away from. Uh, what I mean why, uh, not the universities, but the players themselves don't want a redshirt. They, they want to come in and play and get a chance to go to the NFL. But when a player has a chance to sit out a year, mature and lift weights and learn the offense, and then again graduate from college, uh, that gives them another year of academic work so absolutely free. It's a tremendous advantage to an individual as well as a team because these players are older, more mature. And this now, when you go to a player and you tell him, and as all of our listeners can tell, my dog is on vacation, too. <laughs> I just want the, them to know that is my dog in the background, on vacation here, and doesn't like me to share much time with anyone. <laughs> but but uh, uh, it's a great situation because players are more mature then. And, they, and when you talk to them, you call a player and you say, you know, you're a great player, but we don't think you're going to play much this year. 
would you consider redshirting? We'd love to redshirt you, where you have another year of academics for free. You can work on your master's degree, even if you do graduate on time, and you can continue with your education, and then you can get bigger and stronger. And now an athlete is liable to say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to do that because they see what's in front of them, and they know they'll be a better player. I mean, I hate to say this, but a couple of players have come out early for USC, and they haven't really panned out well. If they'd have stayed another year, they probably would still be playing in the NFL or be a higher draft choice in the NFL. And I think now when you have this depth and you're able to redshirt half your class, can you imagine the maturity of these athletes when they were playing in the NFL? They'd be playing in the NFL. They'll be a senior at USC. So there's a lot of benefits to this, and I think that this will start to take place with Pete Carroll. But I think young athletes will see, why should I play this year? When next year I have a better opportunity of playing, I get a year old, I'm a year older, I have a year of my academics done, I know the offense better, and next year uh, I'm a freshman, a redshirt freshman. So I think that might you, we might start seeing more of that on the USC roster. I think you're right, and I think it's a two-way street too. Like there's a guy like David Osbury a couple of years ago, you know, kind of his own decision. He said, I'm going to redshirt, there's a lot of receivers here, and uh, he looked really good on the scout team and got bigger and stronger, faster. So, you know, he didn't have a great year, uh, you know, last year, his redshirt freshman year, but I think that helped his overall maturity level. But I think to some extent, Pete Carroll wasn't big on, hey, if a guy can play, I'll red- I'm not going to redshirt him. I'm just going to play him. And, uh, you know, like a Brian Cushion could have redshirted his freshman year. And I, but I think some of the fear is if he knows how talented these kids are, and especially if they're out of state kids, you know, you don't want them to like sit around, not play, think about transferring home. Uh, you don't want them to redshirt play two years and go to the NFL. So you only get him for two years. So I think there's some kind of, I mean, he's not always willing to redshirt guys when he knows it's a good chance they could leave. I, I think people on uh, the uscfootball.com message boards have talked about this before. And they're like, why isn't Pete Carroll redshirting this guy? And his philosophy is more, I think it's a more professional type philosophy. He's like, if this guy, if someone can help, even if it's just on special teams, wherever it is, we want this kid in there. We want him playing. And, you know, he doesn't look about like trying to hoard, you know, players and like, oh, I'm going to redshirt him so I'll have more extra. Like if he, he's looking for right now and if someone can help me now, we're going to get him in the game. We're going to make him play. I agree with you 100%. And that's why he's been able to recruit so successfully the great player out there because that great player knows that they have that opportunity of playing and they can come in. He's demonstrated that. And most of them have played their freshman year. So, uh, but I'm just talking about the, uh, the opportunity of playing more and that could happen. But again, I think it's going to be a combination of some great freshmen when there's a spot for him participating in playing and some wanting to redshirt. Yeah, and this could be, I mean, we have to watch, especially with the linemen. Linemen are really usually good candidates to redshirt. Um, I mean, yeah, it could be a great year for redshirting. It might be a, the biggest year we've seen at USC for, for incoming freshman redshirting. So we'll have to check it out. But uh, yeah, definitely fall camp's getting going. Next week on the podcast, we'll be talking all about fall camp. The The first practices will be in the books and we'll get you uh, interviews from camp and, and all kinds of information. You can always check out uscfootball.com. We have a great page called Fall Camp Central, where it's just a, a links to all kinds of information. It's a one-stop shopping for everything fall camp. Uh, all the stories we put up, we put links in there, videos, all the multimedia stuff, photos, all the interviews, and we have uh, a hot list on there, and we have movers and shakers, all kinds of stuff. Whoever, if you want to know anything about USC fall camp, you can go to uscfootball.com and click on fall camp central but coach 
We had a question for you again this week. I know how like you like the user questions. If anyone has any questions for us, feel free to email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address, podcast at uscfootball.com. This question is from Dylan uh, in Denver. And he had a question about Damian Williams, an exciting uh, receiver from USC. He transferred from Arkansas along with Mitch Mustaine. Uh, Coach, he was uh, – Dylan wanted to know – what the story was behind um, Damian Williams leaving Arkansas, and why do you think uh, he chose USC? Well, you know, uh, first of all, uh, he's a great athlete, and he was at a great football traditional school. Both of them were, and they both came off the same high school together where they won the state championship and so on. And and been there. there was a lot of unrest. First of all, when the Trojans went there, they were freshmen and played there. And SC had one of its greatest opening games in the history of SC football in Arkansas. Blew out, if you remember, uh, USC. And two of these athletes played well. Williams and uh, Mustaine played well against SC. In the second half, Mustaine came in, a couple of touchdowns and so on, and then went on and led their team uh, to, I don't know, nine victories or something, whatever he did as a starter. But there was a lot of unrest there, and there was some talking about coaching changes, and of course McFadden was coming in, and they were talking about running the football more, and and these guys didn't come there with the idea of running the football. They came there, and they were recruited there by the coordinator, who was their head football coach, to to be in a passing offense and run the offense that they had known so well. So I think after seeing and being impressed by USC and ESC had a reputation it does and so on, Williams decided to, to make that move, to go to USC, to get out of the state. He knew that, that if he I feel the Southeastern Conference, which would be difficult to transfer to, or close to home, it'd be more difficult for him. I'm not sure if he can go back to the now because of the, the pride that Arkansas has in football. But he got to Southern California. He went to a fine school. He's redshirted. He's a great player. Personally, I, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I, I don't see how he can't be a starter, okay? I, I just really believe he's – when I watch him in the spring, they, I know there's a lot of great receivers coming back, but he gives you that, that open uh, speed, burner, slant, deep route, all in a combination. And Mustaine's a great athlete, too. I'll tell you, what a, what a unique situation it is to have Sanchez, Mustaine, and Corp all in a row. I mean, that is just tremendous because Mustaine's a true winner. And, I, and, and Sanchez knows if he struggles at all that Mustaine will get his chance. And either Corp could get his chance too. So that makes that quarterback position so much better. And I think in Mustaine's situation – you know, he had a chance to see Carson Palmer. He had a chance to see Matt Leinhardt. He had a chance to see John David. And all these, these quarterbacks come through and win the Heisman Trophy and go on. And he knew the tradition of the quarterbacks and, and players at USC and Pete Carroll at USC and his teammate had transferred to Arkansas or from Arkansas to USC. And he says, I'm going to make that same move. Even knowing that Sanchez was there, even knowing that the competition would be great. And I tell you, that shows you a true winner because he wasn't intimidated about who was there, Southern California uh, Gatorade Player of the Year in, in Sanchez. So he came to compete, and he is competing. I liked what I saw in the spring. I think he's going to get better every single day. 
So I think it was a great move for the Trojans. I'm sure Arkansas isn't real happy with what happened there. Uh, you move on. I've had a lot of players transfer. And when a player transfers, it is good for both. You don't want a player to be on your team that's unhappy. If a player's on your team that's unhappy, he becomes that locker room lawyer that is complaining all the time and not happy and not competing ac- uh, academically as well as athletically and fails. You don't want athletes to fail. So you release them as Houston Nutt did. He released them to go to USC. They went on scholarship, and now they're willing to play. And Houston, of course, if he was still there, he's now in Mississippi. But if you're there, you're able to go out and still recruit kids because kids know you care about them, and you'll let them go somewhere if they're not happy. So that's what I think happened there. I really don't know the real story because I've never discussed it with the kids, but I've had great athletes transfer from our program, uh, like Moody transferred from USC a year ago, and maybe he'll be the starter at Florida. He really, I have the feeling, didn't want to compete at USC with the other backs. Now, that didn't hurt USC. It didn't hurt them. It gives someone else another opportunity. But Moody at Florida now feels he made a better move for himself, and if he's happy doing that, let him do it. Why have him at SC and not be happy? So, you know, that's an example both ways. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, Damian Williams, for sure. I mean, I think he could be the leading receiver. He looks so smooth out there. I think Trojan fans are really going to like him. And there was a lot of turmoil going on there. You know, you talked about, you know, Gus Malzahn, the, the offensive coordinator. They weren't really running the offense that apparently these players were, you know, told that that's the offense was going to be run. I mean, they originally... Houston not got a lot of flack because from Springdale High School, there was four stud athletes and Mustaine and Williams were two of them and they weren't going to go to Arkansas. And then, you know, apparently to, to recruit these kids, they end up hiring their head coach to be an offensive coordinator, but there really wasn't the offense that Houston wanted to run. Uh, so, it, and they had two stud tailbacks, you know, you had Felix Jones and uh, Darren McFadden. So, I mean, you can, there's no reason to throw the football around when you got guys like that, but I think the players were promised something that they didn't get delivered on. And there was a lot of, I mean, it just seemed like a kind of a soap opera down there. And one little tidbit that I, that I was told, and uh, you know, I can share you on the Damian Williams part of this thing. Um, not from Damian Williams, but from someone around there, Damian Williams was in line to be the first true freshman wide receiver to start at Arkansas ever. And uh, in the first play of the first game, uh, Houston not took him out and uh, didn't they put someone else in? He said it was because they were running a certain play, but he ended up playing the whole rest of the game and started all the rest of the games of the season. So it was like just that one play he wasn't in, and it just seemed like that was the kind of there was some kind of animosity there, you know, like with between Brett Favre and Packers management, where you think they should get along, but right now they're not. It seemed like there was something like that. You got two sides that you know it's a great team, a great program. You got great players. They should be able to get along, and they just didn't. So they've moved on, and uh, you know I don't think they'll be answering too many Arkansas questions uh, this fall. But they, they did their first year, and even in the spring, I think now they've kind of moved on past that, and they're ready to just be Trojans from now on. Well, they are Trojans right now. In fact, their coach who was hired has moved on from Arkansas for Houston not left and went to Tulsa, I believe. And uh, so there was a lot of change and a lot of promises probably there behind the scenes and so on, and it was just best that they – Eventually, what they did was was clean house. So now they're back with a new program with Petrino, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, 
I'll tell you, I like Williams. I like Mustaine. I, I think they're both. I like Johnson as a receiver. I really don't know. I look at the depth chart, and I wonder just who's going to be starting the opening games or the rotations and so on. But Williams gives you everything. Uh, I haven't uh, watched his blocking abilities that much, but if he's a blocker and can block, and, and as I tell you, and I say this all the time, a receiver has to be a complete player. Cannot just be a guy that catches balls or, or, or runs routes or runs secondary coverages and reads them. Got to be a complete player. Got to know his role. When it's a running play, you don't take him out of the game. You leave him in the game, and he learns how to block. And, and if he is that complete player, I'll tell you, he's going to bring SC a lot of offense. All right. Well, Coach, that's all the time we have. Thank you very much for joining us on your vacation in Catalina in your fall camp. Um, yeah, thanks very much for joining us, and we will talk to you next week and get a lot more infra- information about USC fall camp. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it very much, and I hope we answered uh, the question for our friend in Denver, and I look forward to seeing you at, spring, or at fall camp. All right, and thanks again to our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Thanks again to the coach, and we'll be back after this short break talking more about USC fall camp. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's one 800 888-7287 or visit us on the web at sctickets.com SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater Hey USC Trojan fans to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football basketball and recruiting news Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis recruiting updates and will answer your questions every day on the message board So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back. It's the second segment of the Parastyle Podcast. We're going to talk more about USC Fall Camp with uscfootball.com staff writer, our new beat writer, and uh, it's going to be his first fall camp for USC, Dan Wykey. Hello, Dan. How you guys do? How you doing? Just how you guys? How you doing, Ryan? And it's me and a th- few friends here in the luxurious USCFootball.com Parastyle Podcast Studios, which is certainly not my second bedroom, and uh, me and a little mixer board and some a microphone and some headphones. That's certainly not where I am right now. No, I believe that. I believe it. <laughs> It's it's actually looks kind of nice. I should put a picture of uh, the little setup. It looks somewhat professional. This is our first go at the podcast. It's been going for six months now. Coach Hyde pointed that out in the uh, last segment. I can't believe we've been running this podcast for six months. You've already been booted up to uh, the number two spot, so that's kind of cool for you. Yeah, no, I can't wait till you're just completely gone from the podcast and I get to host. I that's would fun. love that. That would be great. I wouldn't have to do this anymore. No, it's it's fun. It's a, it's a fun Wednesday for me every day. <laughs> I mean, every Wednesday, every week, I got to do this. Um, we're going to, we're going to make it bigger at some point. I mean, we'll do it a couple days a week. Who knows? But, uh, Dan, just, uh, you had an interesting story. Uh, I guess we had an interesting story go up on uscfootball.com today 
Uh, maybe you want to explain a little about what that was about. This is our final preview of fall camp that went up. Well, so the, you know, I feel like we kind of exhaust just about everything that came out of the summer. Um, you know, we've, we've talked to, to just about everybody. It feels like, you know, um, you know, talked to coach Carlisle and, and, you know, Mark Sanchez, we got everybody's thoughts on it. So I thought it was time to, to, to kind of, to air our thoughts a little bit. Um, and by ours, I mean, uh, mine and yours, Ryan. So, uh, you know, I came to you with this idea about just trading emails all day about fall camp and just kind of seeing where that took us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we weed through, I think, a, a fair amount of good subjects. You know, um, there, we didn't see eye to eye on some, on some things. Uh, we did see eye to eye on a, on a, on a few things, too. So, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, think it was, I think it's a fun read. I, um, I went back and took a look at it and, and enjoyed it the second time around. You know, um, it was uh, – it was kind of a lengthy process. I mean, we did it pretty much from when about 10 o'clock in the morning through about seven was when we finished. I think. Yeah. It was kind of a long day exchanging emails, a little friendly banter back and forth. Uh, I took a shot at the white Sox nation, uh, there. I, I didn't think that would go keep, over keep well. Doing it. Keep, <laughs> keep doing it. They, they, um, they respond well to the criticism. They had a great win last <laughs> night. So I'm, 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 I'm a happy camper. Walk off home run on the 14th. So, they actually won that game. I, I was all happy when uh, I think it was Detroit went up in like the 11th or something, and uh, I didn't realize they came and they must have came back and tied it and then went ahead. Oh, uh, it was like the 13th one Detroit went ahead, I think. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, they came back and they scored three in the or four actually in the bottom of the 13th. So dang. All right. Yeah. So uh, you know, so Dan Dan is Dan is not from keep, Michigan. Keep, I I was teasing being from Abraham. Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's not from Michigan. I was teasing about being from Michigan. He did go to Michigan State, um, and but he is uh, from Chicago. He's an Illinois boy, if you cannot tell by the accent. Uh, actually, Dan, we have a, a new uh, – it's not going to be a guest on the podcast, but we have a new member of the team for the next two weeks. I'll just uh, – you guys on the website on uscfootball.com will probably be able to see him. My cousin, uh, Andy McLaughlin, is out here, and uh, he is going to be um, – interning for us for a couple of weeks he was a communications major he actually it's funny he's a big michigan fan and has been since he was a little kid even though he grew up in pittsburgh uh went to andy i, andy, I hate you how's it going <laughs> i know and uh, he, well, he's not on the podcast right now but you'll, you'll be able to see him down at practice he went to penn state and he now lives in columbus but he's still a diehard uh michigan fan so i would always send him text messages when usc would thump him in the rose bowl and he always really appreciated that and i sent them a lot of flack when uh appalachian state took took michigan down so it's kind of funny but uh we're gonna welcome andy you're gonna be able to meet him a michigan state person and michigan person you're a big sweetheart ryan i am he's family too so if i treat you bad i mean this is how i treat my family what do you think you know don't feel bad how i treat you (laughs) all right yeah so it's good stuff and uh so we'll be all down at fall camp we're gonna have a pretty big crew um down there covering practices so they'll be as i talked with coach Hyde, the first four practices are uh, no pads and then we'll have full pads on uh, august 10th but we will have you know photographers down there taking photos we're gonna i'm gonna be down there shooting video we have a a, a new reporter stacy who's going to be reporting from the sidelines and uh, doing some interviews after practice of course dan will be down there writing the practice reports and, and doing a lot of interviews himself We'll have Zach helping out. We'll have Gerard helping out, uh, taking photos. We'll have Mike Richardson down there taking some really excellent photos. Probably first day he'll be down there is uh, the first day of pads, which is a big 
practice day, but we'll have a ton of information. We'll be doing live reports from practice uh, up on the website on the Peristyle of USCfootball.com. So if you want to find out live what's going on as injuries happen or big plays, things like that, we will be posting those on the message boards at USCfootball.com during the entire practice. We'll do that all throughout the fall. Then we'll be sending out text messages, alerts of any kind of news that's been happening. So there'll be a lot going on. We'll be all over it, Dan. This will be your first season covering fall camp for USCfootball.com. So I hope you like it. Yeah, it's like the end of summer vacation today, getting ready for the first day of school. Um, you know, it's uh, it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to getting down there. And I, I, the thing that I'm going to look for specifically today is, you know, we were we were looking up to see some, you know, some uh, summer workouts and, and to, to see the team throw and do stuff like that. I, I'm curious to see what their intensity level is like today when when they step, I guess, take that next step forward towards August 30th. You know, um, just to see kind of the effect that the coaching staff has. That's what I'm going to be looking for today. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the things that I talked to a lot of different writers that have covered other teams, and, you know, you've definitely you've covered other teams before and seen practices, even though down at Old Miss they weren't really allowing you into practice all that much. Um, but where you, where well, you see well, things to, to, be, to be clear, it, was, it wasn't just me. Yeah, so, no, <laughs> Dan, you are banned. If everyone else could come in, yeah, I just want to make that point. Uh, but one of the yeah. things I think you'll re- you'll notice is, uh, and we we hear this a lot from people that have seen other programs go. The tempo is really high. They're not. Um, it, it's just the way they conduct practice. It's it's quick from station to station, and there's no time to to slack off. And it's just really a high level of intensity throughout the entire practice. And what they end up doing is. You have a practice like that where everything's full speed. Then at the end of practice, they're not running uh, sprints or doing gassers or anything like that. Where I heard uh, Rich Rodriguez from Michigan just you know talking about his first practice of fall camp, and they're like, "Yeah, we went through practice, then we did conditioning afterwards." Pete Carroll doesn't do it that way, and uh, sometimes people look at that like, "Well, you, you know, they're not really working as hard." Well, he makes the practices that hard, so you don't have to do. That you know, just running and you know, running up and down the field afterwards as part of practice. Yeah, well, most of the conditioning works, you know, already been put in. Um, from talking to players throughout the, throughout the summer, that was one thing that they, you know, they understood was that the summer's for them to get into shape. Um, they they want to be, you know, as close to game shape as possible right now, just because I mean they know that you, they know through the heat and the sweat of you know, excuse me, a fall camp they're going to drop some pounds. I mean that's you know, just a foregone conclusion, but they want to be, you know, ready to handle that intensity today. Um, they, you know, they want to be able to start right now and, and be in that kind of, that, that kind of game ready mode. And I think it, that kind of edge, you know, lends itself to, to really, you know, you don't have to waste time in early practices running sprints. I mean, when you got your guys, when you've got such a great strength and conditioning staff that does such a wonderful job, like coach Carlisle staff does in getting these guys ready, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about, you know, running sidelines or, or doing any of that stuff, you know, at the end of practice, because these guys are in shape. These guys have been doing football specific conditioning, you know, for nine weeks already. And I mean, they're, they're in good shape and, and that's, that's just a huge edge. You know, you, you really get a lot more out of your practice time because of that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on, you know, these guys are coming in shape, coming into fall camp. Uh, someone mentioned this on the message board today. I mean, really, Chris Gallipo is the only guy that's, that's scheduled to be out right now. Um, relatively healthy. I mean, I would say extremely healthy. Usually in the first day or two, someone seems to get hurt and they're gone for the year. I mean, it just, it, you know, it's unfortunate. 
But that thing, it just kind of happens. One of the questions you posed to me was who uh, is the most invaluable? Like who could they least afford to lose? And uh, I think we both agreed on this one. If Feeling Moala goes down, it's going to be, you know, really devastating for this defense. Yeah, I mean, that's just a huge drop-off behind him. Um, you know, they can maybe try to do some stuff with, you know, Tupu and Spicer or try to do some different tackle combinations. But but really, without without Feely, um, he's just he just commands so much respect on the inside of that defensive line, the inside of that defensive line, that, you know, the double teams that he's going to draw throughout the season open up everything else for the rest of the defense, really, from the, from the front seven perspective. Uh, you know, whether it's stunts, whether it's blitzes. I mean, bye-bye. <laughs> By forcing teams to just put to pin two guys on Feely, and, and by the way, he still makes plays out of double teams too. So he doesn't make any plays out of that double team either. But you know, he just commands so much attention that it opens up so much for everything else. I think he is by far. I mean, like this is like slam dunk, easiest answer in the world. It, it's Feely um, as far as just his value to that to the team defensively. Um, I believe you mentioned Mark Sanchez, and that that was something that we kind of I kind of disagreed with you on was. I, th- I think that both Mitch Mustaine and Aaron Corp are capable. I mean, my understanding, I wasn't here in spring practice, but my understanding was Sanchez um, looked good, but he, he didn't run anything, correct? No, I, I, Sanchez didn't uh, set the world on fire, and there's definitely – you could pick either one of those guys and, and do well. I think you could start Corp, and this team could still contend. You could start Mustaine, and this team could still contend. But because they picked Sanchez – and just seeing him out there, the way it, the way it is, and how he runs things, his leadership—I'm uh, I, not saying there's a drop off in talent behind him. I, I think he probably is the most talented of the three. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. going to be a major, major drop off if you go to somebody else. But I just think that he, his fingerprints are all over everything right now, and they are all looking to him to lead this team. And if if he went down with an injury or for whatever happened. And you had to have like a Mitch Mustaine or an Aaron Corp come in there. I just think the rest of the guys, there, there could be a drop off in their confidence just because you were looking to this guy as the leader, and he was the he was the clear cut leader. You know, they, no one said you're the, yeah. the best quarterback we've ever seen, but you're our guy, you're our leader. Then you get that drop off there. I think it might take them a while to kind of rally behind the new guy. But you know, if a, if Mustaine came in and you know, beat Virginia and beat Ohio State. I think he would be a leader as as for them as well. But just the way it stands right now, it might be a little bit of a, a learning curve and some growing pains if you try to switch out of Sanchez. It's because he's been there all summer and he's the guy that everyone looked up to. Yeah, I mean, but logic and history tell us that you're going to play two quarterbacks at some point in time this season. I mean, that's just kind of foregone conclusion. That you know, I mean, if, if Mark Sanchez takes every snap of this this season, well, not every snap, but every meaningful snap, I mean, that's the team has been lucky. I mean, I, I think we could, we'd agree on that. That to keep the quarterback healthy for you know an entire 13 game schedule isn't easy. Um, but you know, to to do so, I mean, Mitch Mustaine is probably going to take snaps this year. Aaron Corp might take some snaps this year. I mean, I think when you look behind Feely, I mean, who, who can? Who can come in and do what Feely does? Yeah, no, I, you're right. And I, I feel he's the number one, you know, he's the number one guy. You know, the interesting thing about what you said, typically, yeah, your quarterback, is a, you have a hard time getting through the entire season. But in the Pete Carroll era, it's just happened. Like last year was the first time you had a starter, like, missing games and coming back from an injury. Like, Pete Carroll's never had that before. 
Uh, is it That's his- a testament to the offensive line too. Really, yeah, in a lot of ways. definitely the strength of the offensive line. And you got to be—it's got you got to be lucky too. I mean, you could have the best line in the world, you get sacked once and get hurt. So there's mm-hmm. there's some luck involved, and uh, they've been really—you know—I think they've been lucky at the quarterback position. Booty getting hurt, you know, it was a, it was definitely a little bit unlucky, and he had that bad game against Stanford with the broken finger. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, Sanchez is a tough kid. I think he's got a good shot to to go the whole season without being injured. But you know, we'll see. I mean, there, I think there's a better chance of him getting replaced um, just because of you know the the offense struggling than him getting injured. But maybe that's just because I've been been around the program a while and just just used to not seeing these quarterbacks get injured for whatever yeah. reason. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's a guy, like, like you said, you know, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a sack, you know, it could be just a bad hit. He could step on someone's foot, you know, he could follow through and hit some and hit a helmet. I mean, quarterback is, is, is a very, you know, you're very exposed back there and just a lot of freak things can happen. I think a lot of it too, when, when you talk about injuries and how they have affected the scene, I mean, this is where depth is a huge, is a huge, huge part of this formula for success. I mean, Let's just say, you know, Vidal Hazleton gets hurt. I mean, this is the drop-off to that next set of guys. Guys like, you know, that would probably mean more reps for Rojo. That would mean more reps for David Osbury. I mean, is is that is that – now this is no disrespect to, you know, at Vidal, but is that that big of a drop-off? Really? Yeah, no. I mean, I mean yeah. it, one of the tailbacks I mean, goes down, there's plenty of them. The One of the receivers yeah, like goes if, down, if there's Stephane plenty got of them. Hurt, and Stephon's your number one. I mean, there's C.J. Gable right there. You know, I mean, who has got that number one experience? I mean, that's more more cares for Joe McKnight. I mean, you know, we've seen Alan Bradford in practice, you know, just be phenomenal at times. I mean, you know, there there are guys that are always to pick up the load, and, and that's what I think is, is probably, you know, one of the team's biggest strengths. I mean, when you lose a guy like Gallipo, who they had such high hopes for, you know, coming into the season, really, um, you know, and, and luckily, you know, Coach Carroll said that, you know, he's hopeful that it might only be four games. Um, especially when you consider those two early buys, I mean, that's really good for Gallipo. You can get him back sooner. But, um, but you know, I mean, you lose guy his caliber, and it's just kind of like, eh. You know, it, it doesn't feel like a, that huge of a deal right now. You know, I mean, they've got other guys there ready to step up and make plays. Yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be a real strength this team, a couple big injuries. I mean, they could – I think they can handle that. I mean, if it's, the problem is when you start getting one position – decimated where they had the fullback position a couple of years ago, just get crushed. You know, they had a lot of good depth at fullback and then it became a huge problem. Um, you know, it happened on the offensive line last year. People were just getting hurt uh, right and left Two two guys on one play getting carted off. Uh, I mean, so when, when you get those injuries, yeah, you can handle a couple here or there because you have a lot of depth, but no matter how much depth you have, when you start having three or four injuries at one position, then anybody's any, any team would be screwed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and then, and then that's when you start to ask some of your younger players to step in, and you have to deal with some some chemistry issues and stuff like that. But, but I mean, you know, that's one of the things we talked about too was about freshmen. You know, really, I mean, this could be a class where a bunch of guys get redshirted. I mean, just because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of immediate need. No, you are exactly it. right. And I talked to Coach Hyde about this. Pete Carroll's not a big redshirt guy. Like, if you've ever played. Uh, NCAA football, the, like the video game where you go through a season and you recruit players and stuff, you always want to try and redshirt anyone that's not playing. I mean, even if they're on the two deep or whatever, you just want to redshirt them because you can save them for later and then get a little better. Like Pete Carroll doesn't look at it that way. He's He wants to just play guys. If you can play, if you can play on special teams, wherever. And we talked about this in the last segment, just, just play guys. But this could be a record redshirt year 
for Pete Carroll just because the need really isn't there. There's a lot of linemen, and they tend to redshirt a little bit more. Uh, and I think with those two factors, you could see a lot of guys, a lot more guys redshirt than you typically would see from a Pete Carroll team. I mean, you, we're talking, you know, maybe maybe two or three guys on the offensive line, maybe two guys on the defensive line. Um, I mean, you know, maybe somebody in the secondary. It, 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 it could be, you know, six, seven guys here, really, really realistically, who redshirt out of this class. And, and I mean, like you said, that that's that's not normal. Um, if that happens, it's a good thing because that means the guys ahead of them are doing their job and they're they're healthy. You know, obviously that's that'll be a big part of it too, is how healthy they stay. But uh, but yeah, you know, I think um, I think watching the freshman obviously is going to be a huge storyline and and any fall camp, but especially this one, um, just because especially where the the talent's concentrated, um, on the lines, you know, and, and then you look at guys like Blake Ailes and Bryce Butler. I want to see what those guys and DJ uh, GSU Shoemate, which is, I mean, I feel like we've said those names a lot on this podcast over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I want to see what those how those guys handle. Um, the, the pressures and the, uh, the added intensity uh, of, you know, a practice. But, um, but, you know, I think that's one of the interesting storylines. I think there's some good position battles. Um, you know, I, I really obviously follow Mark Sanchez. will be a big thing. I, I think that from a drama standpoint, there's a lot going on, you know, in fall camp. There is. And, Dan, you're going to be covering it all for uscfootball.com. We wish you the very best of luck, uh, Especially because you work for me, but in your first uh, your first run through <laughs> USC fall camp, I was, I was gonna say I was gonna say you're <laughs> wishing me to luck. Well, that's, that's I I'm am. Like, we we want to see you around for the next fall camp. So do a good job. <laughs> you sound inspired. <laughs> Definitely. And, uh, you, you sound you sound extra confident in my abilities. I I am confident, Dan. Everyone on the podcast, definitely go check out Dan's work. USCfootball.com. We'll be covering the heck out of uh, fall camp. I almost said spring football out of fall camp, but Dan, thanks for very much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. You know, I look forward to doing it again, talking, uh, talking more with you as, uh, as camp wears on. We'll have you back on next week for sure. Talking about fall camp, but coming up after this quick break, we're going to talk to Ryan Pettit. He's the publisher of UWSports.com. We're going to give a little preview of the Washington Huskies. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We are back with the third segment of the Peristyle Podcast. We have a very special guest in this segment. We're going to be talking Washington football. We have the new publisher of UWSports.com, Ryan Pettit, joining us right now. Ryan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. Hey, no problem. We want to talk about the uh, Washington Huskies. Of course, uh, everyone's friend Tyron Willingham's up there. I got to see him down at Pac-10 Media Day. Kind of, you know, his usual uh, demeanor there when he's talking to the crowd. Uh, not a great season last year, four and nine, but obviously an exciting 
young freshman quarterback, Jake Locker, who's going to be going into his sophomore year. A really tough schedule. What are, the, what are your overall views there after seeing spring football? Uh, of, you know, what are your expectations here for Washington? Well, that, that's the funny thing is uh, expectations are varied at this point because there's so many question marks. Um, I, I'm expecting a young team to play like a young team. They're talented, but there's a lot of holes left by graduation, and a lot of the skill positions are going to be left to be filled by freshmen, true, and also redshirt. Um, so my expectations really are varied. You know, last year this team was in nearly every game. They lost five games by a touchdown or less. I think they're going to be improved this year. So I could see them improving on the four win. Uh, my realistic expectation would be five to six win season, I think, would be successful. Do you think, uh, I mean, obviously Tyrone's not been around all that long. You know, the Huskies have a proud tradition of winning football and uh, having a four and nine season followed up with another five or six win season. I don't know how that's going to sit with the fans. Are they, are they fairly patient up there knowing that, you know, Tyrone Willingham has a plan and they're willing to uh, wait to see how it comes, comes to be? Actually, quite the opposite. Um, they're not patient at all. People <laughs> are, are, are expecting more than five or six wins at this point. Um, and if he doesn't get the six wins, he, he should, and, and he will, and most likely be gone um, after the season. Um, and it's, I think, you know, from my perspective, I believe it a little bit unfortunate. He's built something pretty decent here. There's a lot of good young talent. He's stocked the cupboards full with two really good recruiting classes and a third that had a few players that have turned out to be standouts. Um, and if he's coaching in two or three years, no matter who's coaching in two or three years, this will be a quality football team because of the players Willingham brought in. I've just got a feeling that he might not be the one coaching them. It sounds a lot like uh, the Notre Dame situation where they, they end up winning a bunch of games after he had left. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see. We'll see what happens. I mean, he's a you know, well-liked person, and uh, you know, we wish him the best of luck this year. But let's get to the team a little bit. Um, Obviously, everyone knows about Jake Locker, the amazing freshman quarterback who's now going to be a sophomore. I guess, I mean, people are concerned. I mean, I think people were concerned about him running too much. And then obviously the durability issues, if you keep running, how often you're going to get hurt. But I think probably the biggest concern is who's he going to throw the football to? I think there's six seniors that are gone from the receiver core. Yeah, I've got, I've got an alarming stat for you, Ryan. Um, 11 receptions. That's what we're returning to the wow. football field this year from last. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's one of the question marks I was talking about with the young players needing to step up. Now, keep in mind, the players they do have to step up are talented. Um, you're talking about a guy like Anthony Boyles, who was a six-rated receiver in the nation, came in, um, was supposed to qualify last year, didn't, but got qualified in time for spring. you got a kid, Devin Aguilar, another freshman, who also didn't get qualified last year that made it in in spring. Um, he was a, a EA Sports um, second-team All-American, Colorado player of the year. The talent is there. Um, it's looking right now like the number one and number two receivers um, are going to be Alvin Logan, another Colorado prospect, um, who – Big kid, 6'2", 215, 4% body fat, and he's a specimen. He redshirted last year. He's really came a long ways, improved his route running, and he just, he just looks like a Pac-10 receiver. Um, the guy lined up next to him is the leading receiver with six receptions last year, DeAndre Goodwin. Um, people in these parts call him the flea, and he is the fastest player on the roster. I guess maybe him and him and Walker combined, tied probably. <laughs> um, he's lightning quick, a little undersized, 
Uh, he was a converted from cornerback. That's what he was originally recruited as. Um, but him and Locker have actually built a bond. And right now, I mean, you know how important it is to have a comfort blanket. And right now, Goodwin is Locker's comfort blanket. That's the guy he feels most comfortable throwing to. So I think you're going to see him lined up there with the slot in the other um, wide-out position, really rotating through a mix of about six guys. Yeah, that's definitely important. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of USC fans are going to look for is who's going to be Mark Sanchez. Security blanket there. Who's going to feel comfortable? There's a lot of receivers there, a lot of young guys, and uh, they got to see at USC who's going to step up and uh, play there. So the position's kind of similar. Obviously, USC has more experience there, but still no one's really that's a proven receiver there at USC. So we'll watch uh, both of those rosters, both those positions closely. Uh, I guess probably one of the stronger points on the offense is going to be uh, the running game. I mean, the offensive line returns just about everybody, and uh, Brandon Johnson looked really good last year as a, as a freshman. He did, um, but there's a good chance he won't even be the starting tailback. I do agree that the running game will be something they'll lean on again this year. I think you'll end up seeing Locker probably be the leading rusher because I think the uh, back position will be by committee for most of the season. Um, the offensive line is solid as a rock, um, and we, we might end up with one of the best in the Pac-10. We did take a pretty big hit, though. Six-year senior Juan Garcia, I mean, the heart and soul of this offense, um, had a Liz Frank injury. He decided not to have surgery um, in hopes to be able to play for his final season, and it looks like he might have the chance. He's, he's progressing a lot faster than people thought. He actually has been participating in individual drills um, and doing a lot of sideline work right now, and, and the hope is that he'll be back midseason. But even with, without him, um, you've got Matt Cedillo, and then Ryan Tolar has slipped to fill in as well um, at center, and there's a lot of quality and it's also maybe the biggest line in the Pac-10. But the big question will be running back. Um, there was some rumors about Brandon Johnson's off-season habits, um, and everyone assumed he'd be handed the job. But there's a youngster by the name of uh, Chris Polk that you guys should know. Well, um, he was once committed to USC, um, decided to end up playing his ball here at Montlake, and he's going to be pushing for a starting um, spot at halfback. And so I think there's about four or five actually could, could see significant carries this season. And like I said, I think it'll end up Walker probably statistically be the leading rusher when it's all said and done. Yeah, Chris Polk. Uh, Trojan fans forgot about him. They can uh, check him out when uh, they put, when Washington comes to the Coliseum on November 1st. It's going to be an exciting game, I'm sure. But uh, let's look at the defense for a little bit, Ryan. And, um, you know, linebackers, defensive backs, look like there's a lot of people back. Uh, defensive line, though, there is, you know, there's a, a lot of talent that took, I think, five of the top six guys or so uh, are gone. But, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of experience there. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. They, you know, they had pretty good sack totals, but they gave up about five yards per carry last year against opposing rushers. Yeah, and that's going to be the big concern this year. I got another alarming stat for you. Our D-line averages under starting four right now, average under 270. Um, it's, it, it will be a problem. Backing them up are some young, bigger players. Um, a couple of guys that will we'll have to step up, obviously, is going to be Daniel Tianeshine. He is the leader of the D-line. He is the one NFL-quality lineman we have right now on the roster, ready to go. Um, he was our sack leader last year. He should be again this year, except if some of the younger guys don't step up and he, see double, he sees double teams all year. Um, a player to look for is Cameron Elisara. He was a a pretty big name who was actually, his, his father played over at Washington State. Um, he was an All-American for them, and they actually didn't offer him, even though he was a pretty big-time prospect. And he's now at UW, 
and this is his year to shine. He's going to step in. He's about a 289-pound kid, and he's really going to take the bulk of the responsibility to be that run stopper in the middle. Um, someone to, to look forward to, though, uh, to look look forward to is a player by the name of Johnny Curtin. He actually played tight end um, in the last few seasons. Was recruited as a halfback, believe it or not, about a 245-pound halfback. He's now a 296-pound defensive tackle. Uh, it sounds crazy, but he is by far the most athletically gifted D lineman we have because, like I said, he can move like a halfback or tight end. Um, but he's got a nasty streak, and I think he was meant to play defense. I don't think he can be in be an every down player. He just hasn't played the position enough. He's not disciplined enough. But the right situations, especially pass rushing situations, I think he can really cause some havoc. But all in all, this is the thinnest position on the roster aside from receiver, and it's it's really a concern for most people heading into that first game against Oregon. Well, yeah, I mean, and speaking of that, well, I, first of all, this is really interesting. I don't know if I've heard of too many halfbacks that became defensive tackles, but that's gonna be, that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, they definitely. I'm sure he can move. So that's uh, he can. That's good to know. Um, but yeah, the first game. At Oregon, followed up by BYU and Oklahoma at home. I mean, you play Notre Dame; they'll probably be improved this year. All leading up to USC on November first, and then you got the Apple Cup on November twenty second. A lot of tough games. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it's the toughest schedule in the country. I mean, you, you said five or six games. You know, they might not. They might win four games again this year and be an improved team just because the schedule's so tough. It is true. It is. It's- the schedule hasn't helped Willingham's cause. I mean, people have talked about it around here, and I think the the consensus is, you know, no excuses. you got to win, and, and that's it. But you can't help but feel sorry for the guy. He took over a completely bare program, and year in and year out has had one of the toughest schedules in the country. And it doesn't get easier next year when we play LSU. Um, I think that you're going to see the first two games of the season are really going to dictate whether this is a successful or, um, or a failure of a season for Tyron Willingham. That first game at Oregon, they're going to have a brand-new QB, and I think sometimes as a new QB it's almost harder to start at home. Um, and it's a rivalry game, so no matter what the talent discrepancy, those games are usually competitive because neither, you know, they just don't like each other. And then that second game against BYU, um, I've got that chalked in as a win. I know that a lot of people don't, but the fact is, is UW has to take care of Mountain West teams at home. It doesn't matter what they're ranked. And they're not, you know, I believe BYU lost eight of their starting uh, 11 on defense. A lot of these was on the average last season as it was, and I think that is a game that we can win. But those two games are really going to set tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, as they, as they usually do, those beginning games, see how they're going, especially when we have a young team like that. But interesting. Well, we'll keep up, and we'll definitely want to talk to you again, Ryan, as the uh, game gets closer. It's hard to kind of preview USC-Washington when it's uh, a few months away, but we'll definitely talk to you as the game gets closer. We'll see what the, the records are like and uh, how the team is progressing. I just wanted to thank you very much for uh, joining us in this segment of the podcast. Anytime and anything, give me a call. Thanks. All right, Ryan, appreciate that. And everyone else, that's the end of our show for today. So thanks for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week. So stay tuned for more Trojan football news. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.